0: Order your copy on Amazon or visit your favorite brick and mortar bookstore to grab one. Are you a Kindle reader, audiobook listener? We've got those versions as well. Support Brian's Foundation, which supports those afflicted with Parkinson's, and pick up your copy today. You can also follow me on both Twitter and Instagram at RickBuker. I'm a lot of places, but there's only one place you can hear me talking about story angles and perspectives that you are not likely to find anywhere else, primarily but not exclusively involving the NBA, and that is is here and that last line about uh, finding perspectives and story angles that you are not likely to find anywhere else has never been more true than maybe for this podcast because this podcast is gonna be about Utah Jazz Hall of Fame point guard John Stockton and his recent participation in a documentary on the COVID-19 pandemic and vaccines so with that in mind I feel like I should preface my remarks by saying I got the Johnson and Johnson COVID-19 vaccine as soon as I could get one back in April as soon as I was eligible. My wife did the same. My two two teenage kids got the Pfizer two-shot vaccine once they were eligible. Up until then, we were mindful of the advised protocol. My kids took classes virtually until they were allowed To in person and then they went through regular testing and they played most of the basketball season wearing masks i read as much as i could about the pandemic as it unfolded i had particular interest because i was at the last nba game played between the clippers and the nets at the staples center before the league ultimately shut down i was stunned when marcus morris told me as we walked down the hall outside the locker room after the game that the whole league would be shutting down in a matter of days. He said they weren't worried about the players getting sick because of their health and fitness, but it was everybody around them that could be at risk. The post-game interviews were done with all media members kept at a distance and not allowed in the locker room. But when I ran into Nets coach Jacques Vaughn, we shook hands and talked as we normally would for several minutes. It was as if the protocol hadn't dawned on him or me. My conversation with Marcus was the same. It would be the first of countless incidents, instances when measures being taken were inconsistent and protocol being taken not being evenly applied or, in some cases, not making sense. The latest might have been last week when my daughter played in the Bay Area Central Coast Section Championship in basketball. We played in the opposing team's gym. Archbishop Mitty, big powerhouse athletic school in the Bay Area. And they required fans of the visiting team to sit in the upper section up and above the team benches while home and non-visiting team fans were allowed in the sit- to sit in the bleachers on the other side. Uh, they had a strict count on a number of people who were allowed to purchase a ticket, so they knew exactly how many people were attending the game. There was no protocol uh, applied or enforced for keeping anyone separated, and there was ample room in the bleachers reserved for the home team and non-visitors, even if everyone sat apart. The protocol, in short, made no sense and hinted at other motives, as in giving the home team an advantage with their fans sitting closer to the floor. Our team fans couldn't even see us, or our team couldn't even see us, unless they stepped out on the court, craned their necks, and looked up. I was actually confronted by one of the school officials when I tried to walk to the other side of the gym and was given a hodgepodge of reasons why. Uh, That it was policy, that it was protocol, that it was uh, ultimately it was trying to put together a mishmash to explain why they were putting us out of sight and hopefully out of mind. And bottom line is We ended up winning anyway, and last thing I want to sound is like a griping parent. As a coach, as an AAU coach, uh, thankfully I didn't have too many of those, but I've seen plenty, and that's not my intent here. My intent is to illustrate and underscore that uh, on every level, the direction, the protocol, the rules set, there was no consistency, and a lot of times you couldn't connect the reasoning with the rule. Uh, My point is that a lot of what we've been asked to do for the last 15 months hasn't made sense. I've gone along with it. Most of it. Because where I sat in a gym or stood in line in a store or wearing a mask or not wearing a mask struck me as a first world problem. An overreach perhaps. But if it was an attempt to keep others safe I was willing to go along with it. I felt the same way that first night at the Staples Center. Policy was being made on the fly. But who was creating that policy determined the severity of it. And I don't know what their base of knowledge was in doing it. What none of us could have anticipated at Staples Center that night is that it would be months before the season would resume and it would do so in Orlando, in the bubble, with extreme safety measures being taken to keep the players from contracting the virus. I ended up not going to the bubble because of my TV duties and because I questioned how much access I would truly have. If I was going to be away from my family for a month or more, especially at a time when the world felt upside down, I wanted to be sure that it was worth the sacrifice. Looking back, clearly there were measures put in place that were far too extreme. Theories proposed that suggested the coronavirus was lurking everywhere because I lived near the ocean. I even read one report that suggested the virus could be spread via the spray coming off ocean waves, breaking or hitting the shore. Then there was the whole living on various surfaces for various periods of time, hours or days, depending on the material. I appreciate the challenge of putting rules in place for hundreds of millions of people, all living in different situations and under different circumstances. But I can't help believe having a president who pretended the virus posed no threat at all prompted the scientists and doctors and medical professionals to go the other direction to balance the scales. Once how to deal with the virus became a political argument, finding a sensible, practical approach acceptable to everyone was damn near impossible. Now to John Stockton's part in all this. I haven't watched the documentary, only the clip available online uh, that uh, gives his part in it, or at least part of his part in it. I don't feel a need to watch the documentary because I'm fairly certain those who reacted to the clip didn't then go by the documentary to find out more. And it's the reaction and condemnation of John Stockton that I want to address. Because that is something that I have a little bit of knowledge about. My career covering the NBA started with the 92-93 season, which included Salt Lake City hosting the All-Star Game. The event was considered far more of an exhibition back then, and winning MVP of the game wasn't considered a particularly big feather. If a team had a player from the host team on it, they generally go out of their way to feature that player in order to have the storybook scenario of him winning the mvp on his home floor not surprisingly when the west won in overtime stockton and carl malone were voted co-mvps keep in mind no one had ever been voted co-mvps for the award in its 42 year history to that point the league insists it was a free and fair vote by 11 selected media members four voting for malone four for Stockton, and three splitting their vote between the two. It's just a little convenient for me to buy it. We're all skeptics on some level, right? And this was my introduction to the NBA. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? and the subsequent 10 seasons in covering him. He was a master at giving the most dry, colorless, uninteresting quotes imaginable. His wardrobe was just as boring. He could have been a model for Sears or JCPenney. If dad clothes weren't a thing by that time, John invented them. He was not somebody who was looking for attention, is my point. It was easy to think, looking at this pasty white, average-sized dude with the nondescript wardrobe, that he was better suited to be an accountant, not an NBA player. He could not have been more different from Carl Malone, who enjoyed having a bigger-than-life persona. I once rode in a monster truck and jumped moguls with Carl at the wheel in Las Vegas. I will never forget him looking over and grinning at me as we went over the first jump. Carl loved to tell colorful anecdotes about fishing and hunting. I saw photos one time of him modeling a black leather motorcycle jacket, loved to drive Harleys, ride Harleys, and even did a turn as a professional wrestler. Carl liked attention, but the boring milk-toast persona was an act for Stockton, I learned from his teammates. He had a wicked, irreverent sense of humor among them and close friends. He just had no time for media people poking or prodding into his personal or professional life. Now, that didn't bother me. He always made himself available. He never ran and hid regardless of what the result was. He just never said anything that I felt compelled to write down, which was what he was aiming for. He also showed up for every game. It's impossible to fully appreciate what an Iron Man he was and how absolutely devoted he was to playing every minute possible and how remarkable it is that he pulled it off he played for the late Jerry Sloan one of the toughest men to ever play or coach in the NBA maybe in all of sports that's not hyperbole those who played against him remember his hands being like cudgels and he would literally fight you for a loose ball I'll never forget the look on his face any time an opposing player or coach would talk trash to him. He got this little grin as if the trash talker had just invited him to a fight that he'd been waiting for all his life. One of my favorite stories is when Carl was dealing with a sprained knee and he was considering playing with a sleeve over it. I was there. They were playing the Blazers. I was in the locker room, happened to be talking to Carl at the time, along with a couple other media members. Jerry Sloan walks by and sees that Carl is trying on this sleeve for his sprained knee and says, you're not going to wear that bleep rag, are you? Uh, Carl played his usual, usual minutes that night with no sleeve in sight. That's who John Stockton played for and with and answer to in 14 and a half of his 19 seasons. Basketball reference lists Stockton as six foot one and 170 pounds. And while those numbers are sometimes what they measured as a rookie and are never updated when it comes to players, I don't know that John got much bigger than that. And yet, one of Utah's favorite plays was a baseline cross screen where John had to set a screen on the opposing power forward for Carl. Now, this was in the day when power forward's were all legit 6'9 and at least 250 pounds. Very much a big man's game. And yet, John did it with relish, hitting Carl's man as if he were the 250-pounder. And despite the physicality with which Sloan demanded his team played, and despite going to the playoffs every single year of Stockton's career, he played every regular season game in 17 Of his 19 seasons. And you know how he did it? I'm told by doing research. On physical therapy. On nutrition. Physiology. Talking to medical people. Physical therapists. Nutritionists. The man did a deep dive on how to take care of his body. That entire 19 year stretch. Now, a lot of people can study a subject. And still not understand it. Or know how to apply it. His career would suggest he not only studied hard, but he studied well. He knew his subject. My understanding is that his research into how the body works didn't end with his career either. Since, I've been told, he's continued to play on a regular basis up in Spokane at his alma mater, Gonzaga, with players currently playing for the Bulldogs. As someone who is basically the same age, that impresses the hell out of me. Because while I might get on a road bike and work out and Surf, the idea of playing hoops, I've done that a couple times. God bless him. He knows more about how to take care of his body than I do. I offer all that as a prequel to John participating in the documentary on the COVID-19 pandemic that has resulted in a backlash of criticism toward him. Now, I'm not here to defend the documentary, why it was made, or some of the conspiracy theories espoused in it. I don't know when John participated in it, why he participated in it, or if he knew what the final product would look like. And those are all fair questions. What I find unfair is labeling him as a tinfoil hat crazy person who thinks he knows more than epidemiologists, scientists, and health administrators because he expressed the view that authorities' reaction to the pandemic was excessive somewhat paranoid and inconsistent well call me a crazy person too because i had some of the same thoughts and questions i also don't like that he's being mocked for saying he's done his own research and his findings raise questions about what we were advised to do wearing masks included or at least the efficacy of them This is not someone who started studying the human anatomy and his reaction to various conditions last year, or that it was isolated just to, what do I do in the pandemic? He spent several decades studying the human anatomy with the intensity of someone whose livelihood depends on it. I assure you, based on the names I saw killing him on social media, they don't know a tenth of what John does when it comes to science and the human body. I also know some of the people in John's circle venture capitalists who were also doing their own research and spending a lot of money to do it because they a didn't trust the information being dispensed by the government and b wanted to get ahead of the curve wanted to know what they should be investing in as the world searched for answers and solutions to the pandemic I'm people I'm talking about people with the resources and the funds capable of sending their own people over to China to investigate, to find out what they could find out. What saddens me is that I saw a lot of blue check names who wasted no time disparaging and dismissing Stockton as a crackpot. Blue check names that I am certain have been blasted prematurely with insults and false accusations by people who didn't know them or what they knew about the subject that they were being blasted about and quite a few blue check names that I am sure never met Stockton never did an iota investigation into who he is or how he has approached his life and career if they had it might have given them pause before trashing him as another Q non-insurrectionist who considers wearing a mask as a violation of their personal freedom I'm pretty certain that's not why John raised the question about the efficacy of masks. After all, he played 14 and a half seasons for Jerry Sloan, whose demands on how you wore your uniform, tucked in, drawstring tied, everything buttoned up before you stepped onto the court, certainly didn't allow for, for personal freedoms. My approach to the pandemic was obviously different than John's. As a media training consultant, I would have told him he needed to do a lot more research into the documentary he appeared in before agreeing to do it and should consider what the potential fallout would be from it and the potential gains and were the former worth the latter. I have a hard time believing he co-signed or agreed with everything in it. I've appeared in a few videos myself. And I know how editing and splicing and the overall arc or message of the final product is not within my control. I can't recall being massively burned, but there were times when I watched the final product and it wasn't the conclusion I would have reached based on my knowledge of the subject, nor the conclusion that I anticipated would be reached. The bottom line for me is that I need to know a lot more before I condemn Stockton for what he said and what he believes because of what I know already about John Stockton. His track record, as far as I'm concerned, has earned him that. All right, that does it for this episode of On the Ball on the United Wecast Network. Game two of the Clippers at the Phoenix Suns in the Western Conference Finals is the next game on the slate followed by the hawks and the milwaukee bucks starting their eastern conference final battle on wednesday so i'm sure we will get into one or both of those subjects in the next podcast in the meantime as always thanks for listening